Welcome to Startup to Last, a podcast about building profitable software businesses that are meant to last. Topic for today is how to communicate major product changes to your users. Uh, but first, we're going to give a few updates about our businesses. Hi, I'm Tyler. I run a bootstrap SaaS company called Less Annoying CRM. And I'm Rick. I'm the founder of Leg Up Ventures, which owns and operates software companies that empower underdogs. Cool. What's up this week, Rick? Well, uh, I have a slight infection. So um, sorry if I'm a little nasally uh, or uh, incoherent today, but uh, I'm excited about the topic, so I didn't want to postpone. Um, one other thing, my major update is that I decided to put my consulting on hold. Um, remember when we talked two weeks ago mm-hmm. and I was trying to figure out if I wanted to go into a phase two for uh, for the project, mm-hmm. I ultimately decided, uh, came to the decision to, to pass. And, uh, that was a hard decision to make. It was a bit, it, the company just announced today, uh, a $9 million series a. Wow. And so they're, they're doing really well. I really like the guys there. And so it was, it was a really hard decision to make. Um, I actually applied some of the regret minimization, uh, fear, eliminating fear decisions to mm-hmm. the decision. Uh, that's from our, our episode about imposter syndrome. Do you remember that? Yeah. And uh, so, so I actually feel really good about the decision. And uh, instead, with the t- instead of focusing on that, what I'm going to spend my time doing is uh, one group current is doing really well. Our client Panda Labs um, just exceeded. Uh, I think we just passed 120 members. Um, which, uh, which is huge. Wow. And so I'm going to spend more time on group current and figuring out how to grow that. And by either adding new clients, new products, or uh, just growing Panda Labs. And then uh, I also want to write a book. Um, hmm. I, I decided, I, I figured out that the two things that were scaring me from starting another company are one, um, uh, starting another uh, SaaS company is is one uh, m- being scared around the technical co-founder, which we discussed a couple weeks ago. And I'm, I need to flex my muscles on coding to figure that out. So I'm going to commit to the rest of this year to f- really f- clarify what my capabilities are from a product development standpoint, everything from design to the infrastructure we t- discussed. And um, my hope is that I will have very clear, I'll, I'll clarify for myself what exactly I need to surround myself with from a talent standpoint uh, to be able to launch a, a solid product. Um, that's going to take a lot of time. Yeah. Cool. And then writing a book. Yeah. And then writing a book. So the the, the other thing that I'm scared about is um, one thing I did not do well at People Keep is build cohesive teams. And that started with the board. I could not get the board with me to get, mm-hmm. become cohesive. Um, and then that trickles down to management. Uh, couldn't get the management uh, cohesive. And there were moments of like great cohesion. Um, and we got a lot done when we were there. Mm-hmm. So it's not all bad, but I, I didn't crack the code on leadership and building teams. And so I'm going to actually write a book about, um, uh, well, my goal is to write five, uh, I think it's, 5,000 words at least, but maybe something that could turn into a book um, on leadership, emotions, and teams. 
Um, and so I'm really excited about it. I have no qualification to write this book. Um, p- part of the reason I want to write it is to go into the subject matter and become uh, as much of an expert as I can so that I can eliminate this fear. Interesting. Cool. So what's what's your approach going to be if you say you're not qualified to do it? Like, are you just basically going to read other books? How are you going to get the information that you're going to include in yours? Yeah. So one thing I do know a lot of is experience on how not to do it. The quote that I start the book with, I've written a few pages already, is a Confucius quote. Um, by three ways we learn. Uh, we learn. One first is reflection, which is the noblest. Second is imitation, uh, which is the I think the easiest or something like that. And then third um, is by experience, which is the bitterest. <laughs> and uh, I say I you know I'm I'm. Imitation doesn't work mm-hmm. uh, for this this subject. I'm way too bitter from experiential learning on this, and, and so I need to read and reflect and 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 write about this yeah. subject until I until I get it. I mean, I uh, I have very little experience in my life prior to starting a you know lesson learning CRM because I was 24 at the time. Most of the experience I did have was I mean working with you, but seeing not from you but from other people a lot of stuff I didn't like. And I still every day and every time we hire a new person, everything, I'm telling all these stories about, oh, this thing was messed up and that thing was messed up. And it, it, it still to this day informs everything we do here. I think learning what not to do is pretty valuable. Exactly. What, I, what, what I'm hoping it turn, I think a good book will turn into something that um, I, I'm writing. So I have two constraints on the book and we should move on. But uh, uh, one is 100, no more than 100 pages mm-hmm. and then eighth grade or lower reading level. Um, I really think this can help young emotional people, especially that are either put in a leadership position or, uh, you know, want to be in a leadership position and like me where Mm -hmm. I was there and my emotions oftentimes were the things that got in the way. And it wasn't that I necessarily couldn't have figured out in the moment how to do the right things. It was that my emotions kept setting me back, um, uh, even even though I cared so much, mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm hoping that it, it turns into some sort of framework or uh, you know whatever to do that um, someone who can, someone who is you know faced with a similar situation that I was faced um, as a young leader um, can you know maybe avoid some of the bitterness that I feel. Yeah. All right. Well, very cool. That sounds like. Tell so, me about so you. Just to, well, let, let me just summarize real quick. So you're going to be working on Group Current writing a book and learning to code slash figuring out what, like what type of person you need to be partnered with to complement your skills. You got it. Awesome. That's exciting. Um, so yeah, for me, well, I just woke up from a nap. I'm uh, you're, you're dealing with an illness and I'm dealing with overall grogginess cause I just woke up. <laughs> we got a nap room in the office and it's ruining me. Uh, <laughs> um, no, so it's, it's been a not super eventful uh, week or two work-wise, but like kind of, party wise uh we you know I, I mentioned we hit our 10 year anniversary at the company and everybody surprised me with uh like the coolest thing ever which is back when we were in san francisco uh the way we celebrated milestones was we all went to this place called shabu house this is when there were three people at the company but uh we'd go with all our friends and have japanese like shabu shabu and uh give a lot of toasts to each other um so they recreated the restaurant in our office last week and surprised me with it so that was like awesome so you did at like in office shabu shabu yeah and for those of you who don't know what shabu shabu is it's basically uh melting pot fondue japanese style 
Yeah. And the rule that we have is basically every few minutes, someone has to stand up and give a toast to someone else. So the whole night, everyone's just kind of toasting each other. Uh, it's, it's a very good time. So that was that was awesome. <laughs> oh, so it sounds like it was a huge team building and uh, reflection opportunity and celebration. Yeah, definitely. Does it feel uh, good? It, it, uh, it, it was, you know, I knew some kind of surprise was coming because I just knew that was going to happen. And I was kind of like nervous because I'm like, it's not going to, it can't possibly be live up to what like a 10 year anniversary is. And it like totally did. It was awesome. <laughs> That's so cool. Congrats, yeah. man. Thank you. I had a good time. Um, and then in terms of actual business stuff, um, kind of same old, same old, but you know, we're back into recruiting mode. So, um, last week was also the, someone I mentioned a while back in the podcast who was leaving. She actually had her last day last week. So now we're recruiting to replace her and starting to recruit interns and coding fellows for next summer. So lots of recruiting stuff going on. Why, why, why is recruiting back again versus being steady? Well, if you're a, let's say a venture backed company, you kind of have a pool of money. You can allocate how you see fit. In our case, we can't hire someone until like somebody that has to leave to free up the money, or we have to like wait until we have enough money to hire someone. And since someone left, we kind of have the money again. And, and do you have a, a pool of candidates ready to go get, or is this something that you kind of start from scratch? Uh, a little of both. We, we hired the same role, uh, earlier this year. And so there are a handful of people from that time that, uh, for example, had applied, but it was a little bit too late and we'd already hired someone or something like that. So we had a handful of people that were already in the pool. And then we also tried every time we recruit, we kind of try new things and experiment all that. So we didn't want to miss out on the opportunity to try again. That's awesome. I also, I really, I wanted to mention, um, just popped in my head last week, you uh, introduced me to Ryan O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Um, over at Curate, that was a really helpful conversation, and uh, and so yeah, if you guys, if if you ever need, uh, if you're a florist, you know, this is like <laughs> a really cool automation software. There are so many different ways to make, uh, uh, you know, make money. Yeah, yeah, it's very cool. He, he's got this amazing business just selling software to florists. Yeah, you can if you find your niche, you can make it work. Yes, it yes it does. So yeah, okay. Well, you want to jump into the yeah into the deep dive. Yeah, so the, the topic for this week is going to be basically how to communicate major product changes to your users. Um, this this could go any number of directions, but the reason I'm bringing this up is I've referenced the last few episodes where we're working on this big redesign of Lesson Wing Serum. It's probably the biggest update. It's both a redesign and two major new features. Um, biggest update we've had in like at least five plus years, if you say not two, ever. Two new features? Two new features, yeah. Um, Outlook Calendar Sync, and we're completely redoing custom fields. So pretty big features, and but the thing people will notice most is the redesign. Um, and so I've been kind of thinking, how do we communicate this to people? Um, the traditional way to think of this is like, how do you build hype and use it as a marketing event, which we can talk about. But I also thought it, it fits, you know, the theme of the podcast is how do you build a business to last? And I think a lot of companies like change and like eventually it leads to their downfall if they do this wrong. Um, they forget their core audience and all that. They get too excited about the upside. Our audience is not one that loves change. And so most of the communication side that I'm thinking of is not how do we market this, but instead how do we uh, like reveal this to people in a way that will minimize their likelihood of like flipping out and leaving basically. 
In other words, a lot of companies might see this as an opportunity to wow users. You don't see that same. You see this as a threat to users. Um, I mean, I think it's good for them. But if I'm being totally honest, the reason we have to do this is to keep getting new users. It probably, the, the two new features will be helpful to our existing users. The redesign won't. They already know how it works. It, it'll look nicer, but that, that doesn't provide any value to them. And they're not going to be excited about the fact that we redesigned. Is this true? In most cases, when 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 companies yeah. do redesigns, like is it always usually for new users, or is is there? Yeah, I think so. I I, I hadn't. I was just kind of thinking of this case, but in if your audience really is like really into design or something like that, maybe they get excited about it. But for the most part, once if you think of software as a tool, which CRM software certainly is, I think most B two B software is a tool. Once you know how the tool works, I can't imagine much benefit to saying, okay, now you have to learn like a new way for it to work. Do you if agree it, with that? Yeah, if, if it works currently. Yeah, yeah, true. Got it. Yeah, okay. Um, man, I, I guess if the redesign is valuable to new users, there's got to be some benefit to switching to the new design for old users. Yes. And uh, so a couple things on that. First of all, this is one reason why we're bundling it with two new features. Um, we've done this throughout our we, throughout our history. We've done a decent job of like, you know how anytime Facebook changes anything, everyone on Facebook's like, "Oh, I hate it. I'm quitting," and then they forget about it a couple weeks later. One way we try to minimize that reaction is saying, "There's an actual new feature for you here that you care about," and probably it doesn't have to come with the redesign, but like to a user, it seems like they're a package deal. Yeah, I'm also realizing that this your users are probably highly sensitive to this because they use. It's a CRM product. They use mm -hmm. it every, every minute of every hour of every workday. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also a history here, which is a lot of our users are older, you know, 40 plus years old, and they've been through multiple cycles of CRM companies like screwing them over. And so part of this is a lot of them, their natural reaction is, oh, you're getting ready for an acquisition. You're getting ready to raise prices. Like, they see the writing on the wall anytime anything changes, anything changes. So I have to kind of reassure them like, no, 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 we just, we hadn't redesigned the software in seven years. We need a new design here. <laughs> yeah. There's a better, or, or, well, I guess taking a step back, I, I, I don't, I don't think we need to spend time in, and I think we should dive into why you're doing this because, mm -hmm. um, just because you need to do it for seven years isn't, doesn't resonate with me. It probably won't resonate with your, your users, so why why do a redesign? Let's let's actually exclude the the two new features from this conversation. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So why why are you prioritizing a redesign, and what does it mean for the company? Yeah. Okay. So um, let's break this into two categories. One is like just pure first impression. Um, when new people sign up for the product, it looks really old and outdated. Like I said, I don't think our current users care about that because they're used to it. But definitely. Oh, if you go too long without updating your look, uh, it it I think you lose trust with new users because they look at it and they say, "Well, why hasn't like why does this look like it's from the previous decade?" Um, so I, I do think there's some marketing element to that. Just it needs a facelift, and then there are actual functional problems with our old design. It was designed at a time where people didn't use mobile very often, and so it was very hard to make it responsive to a mobile screen. Um, we've added a bunch of features since this design came about and it, it just doesn't like work very well with them. So there are like real practical reasons for it, but that's 50% of it. The other 50% is just no one trusts us if we look too outdated. Okay. So one is 
listen, this is this is a the internet is becoming more and more um, is, is developing more and more of a standard for design and user experience. And if you want to remain trusted by both mm-hmm. probably some seg- segment of your existing users mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and n- new users, you need to stay current and meet those standards. The second is we're actually going to make it easier for you to use our software, whether you're an existing user or a new user. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, what- and mobile is the main driver of that. Right now, we have a separate mobile version from desktop. The, the, that gets totally neglected. Um, and the idea is once this is done, or it, it'll open us up. It won't be completely all the way there, but we're moving in a direction where we just have one app that works on all screens. That I mean, what you just explained to me is some... Have you, have you explained that? in the way you just explained it to me to a user and gotten their reaction? Yeah, we've uh, I've talked to a handful of users about this. We've written a number of blog posts also that really walk through this in, in detail. Yep. I'm trying to over-communicate this, so... Yeah, so what's, when you... when if I feel like you just gave me maybe a, a minute, 30 second to a minute elevator pitch on this. Mm-hmm. If you were to tell a user that, what would be their reaction? It seems like they would be like, thank you for thinking of this. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked to a handful of users. We got one very negative reaction and we actually like showed them the, the new design in action. So we we explain why first. Um, we are after the bad one, we started. Yes. Okay. (laughs) I learned my lesson. All right. And how do we go after that? Um, and yeah, well, let let me explain that because just if anyone else is going through the same thing, like what we did is we showed it to them and before the person could even see what what the changes were, they just immediately were like, oh no, like she was, she was going like, oh no, it's changing. I hate it. I rely on your software and it's changing. Uh, she didn't even see it first. Um, so in future t- You didn't talks, start with why. Well, not on that call now. Yeah. <laughs> so if anyone else is ever doing this, start with why for sure. Um, and that's part of the reason I want to talk about this today is like, I need to get this in front of people so many times, I think, before they see it for the first time so that a, they understand why, and B, if even if they are going to disagree with it, I want them to get mad and then get over it before it matters. Got it. Okay. So um, that's why. So that's why you're doing this. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, what? Uh, it seems like success. How would you measure success of? So I guess so. That's why. Mm-hmm. What does success look like on the other end of this? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I mean, the most conservative version is just, I hope we don't lose our current customers. Um, we're going to lose some, but like, I hope we don't lose a meaningful number and they're not angry at us and like, it doesn't hurt our churn rate long term or anything like that. Obviously, we're hoping our NPS goes up. We're hoping that growth goes up and stuff like that, but that's secondary to that. Well, isn't the number reason number one reason you're doing this for new users? Um, eventually it doesn't have to happen now for new users. Like we haven't hit an acute problem with growth or anything. It's just like every company has to at some point, I think. Okay, cool. Um, so we'll look at NPS and all that. And I'm obviously fingers crossed it goes up, but the most immediate thing we'll be measuring is just it, can, can users log in the next day and just business as usual. I, I still know how everything works. Cause we, we tried not to like disrupt their workflows or anything like that. Yeah, so it sounds like um, success is customer retention, mm-hmm. um, long-term increased in promotion by users, mm-hmm. uh, NPS, and then third is main, you know, f- maintain conversion rates of customer acquisition. 
Yeah. And hopefully it increases it, but increase. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um, is any, like, it sounds like nothing is, is there NPS is in there for a reason. And I'm assuming that's a more of a marketing metric for you, right? Like it's a kind of a, I I look at NPS as, Hey, this customer's happy and Mm -hmm. is this, it's it's an indicator, not the only indicator, but an indicator that they're going to retain and stay with you. Um, it's also an indicator that they're going to spread the word, right. And generate you Mm -hmm. more leads. So where to lead, I guess we talked about conversion rates. NPS is sort of this other thing that that says, Hey, maybe you're also focused on generating some leads here. Uh, Yes and no. The primary reason I mentioned it is because I view it as a leading indicator rather than a lagging one. Someone churning is the last thing that happens in a long series of them losing faith in us. And I think the earliest indicator we have is that someone's uh, we don't do pure MPS. We do a one to five scale. Um, but if, if those rank rankings that people give us start going down to me, that would be an indicator that like there's bad news brewing on the horizon that just hasn't gotten here yet. Basically. Yep. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, I guess I'll just ask you directly then. Why isn't, why is the conversion the only focus here? Why are your conversion rates the only focus here? Why isn't expanding the top of the funnel a focus? Um, I guess first of all, I'm I'm always skeptical that a redesign will do that. Um, I've I think people get in their heads a lot and say, "Oh, like I." Well, let me give you an example. Throughout the history of the company, we always build new features, and we think, "Oh, this one feature, that's the one we need." Everything's going to get better after this, and it, it never happens. Um, all of them added up together over years make a difference, but we have yet to ever launch anything that we can tell really makes a difference on growth. So that's one reason is just experience with that. Got it. So you're looking at this mostly as a conversion rate thing, not a not a, a full blown marketing effort. Um, okay. What? Uh, I guess wh- why aren't you? Do you do you feel like you're? I'm gonna challenge you for a second. Okay. Do you feel like do you feel do you feel like you're walking away from an opportunity to really increase awareness about less annoying CRM through this? Uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I, so I always roll my eyes. I, I think like a lot of marketing is just bullshit and. When a company gets all excited, we read, oh, we changed our logo. I, I don't care. Um, what do you, the, the two new features I could see marketing, what are your thoughts on like, does anyone care that we, it, it's a pr- pretty dramatic redesign, but does anyone care? By anyone who, what do you mean? Who wasn't already evaluating us. I I think it'll affect someone who's evaluating us because they'll say, oh, this this looks modern. It looks updated. This company's probably more legitimate. But someone who wasn't otherwise thinking about us, why would they care that we just launched a redesign? Well, this is this is getting into the the the, the kind of gray. I don't want to call it gray. Um, it's getting into the space of can't really measure it. Brand awareness. Yeah. And I guess um, one reason all the companies do exercise, uh, execute a playbook around a big launch that involves press releases, you know, uh, media, event announcements, uh, really blowing the communication out of the water and hyping it is because of the brand exposure it provides. And that is a value to the organization. But so 
does it provide brand exposure? Like if you write a press release, does anyone read it? Like how do you get this in front of someone where they care? With a story. And I think you have, so the question is, you have a, well, there's a question. You have an interesting story. Every time I tell someone about your business, Mm -hmm. um, they go, that's really cool, (laughs) right? You have a story. And it's a story that resonates with some people. And most people in the in your the people that could help you don't know about your story. You're still small, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like relative, I, I, I assume that you haven't, conc- you're not like at 60% market share, are you? Uh, no, I, I haven't bothered to calculate it, but I yeah. assume it's significantly less than 1%. Yeah. Okay. So there's a huge market out there for you that primarily is like, if you look at, at, at the market in three segments, you've got your customers and former customers who know you well. Mm-hmm. Right or know you, your past self well if they're mm-hmm. a former customer, you've got potential customers who have have had some brand interaction whether it's visiting your website or filling out a lead form or whatever it is having a brand interaction. Then you've got everyone else who has never even heard of less annoying CRM, right? Which is right? the much bigger group, yeah. Yes, and and so communicate like we, we're really talking about communication helping the people who are really far down in the funnel with your customer acquisition, meaning they're playing with the product mm-hmm. and the people who are um, already using your product, right? Retaining them. That's such a small percentage of the people who could be interested in your story. And you have something new, you have something that you're doing that's a big deal. It's a big deal enough for you to have a, this is a topic of our podcast, to take time to communicate to your users. Uh, and, and how many users do you have right now? 21,000? 21,000 users. It's, it's, you have something here. There's a story here that maybe a lot of people out there would benefit from hearing right now and appreciate um, being told. And I don't, know, I don't know what that story is per se, but if, if, if I would not, I'd be willing to bet some money that there's a story here. Yeah. I buy the, the overlying premise of this, although... All the content marketing I've ever tried to do has hit a bit of a wall with basically no like no one spends their time idly reading about CRMs. Like they're either in the market or they're not. And if they're not, like who cares? <laughs> yeah, that's probably not your story. Uh-huh. Um, I don't think that you're a CRM company. I don't think of you that way. Okay. I, th- I think of you as a um a different CRM company. Yeah. Uh, like it's something your story may not be about CRMs. It may be about the approach you're taking to business. What does that have to do with the redesign though? The way you're going about it just right now, this, this topic is of interest to me mm-hmm. personally. Um, if I didn't know anything about this and how you're approaching the problem, uh, I would be interested in you sharing that story with me and why you're doing it. Okay. So if I'm hearing you know, it correctly, I, he, yeah. You have a, a special approach to business, and that's it's. You're more or less annoying than you are CRM as a business. Okay, I I buy that. So what you're saying is like maybe it's it's not we're launching a redesign. It's here how here's how you can launch a redesign in a less annoying way or something like that. Something like that. Well, I guess I'm getting to is it's coming back to the last podcast we did when we talked about your recruiter, um, your recruiting handbook, using mm-hmm. employee handbooks for recruiting. And I just, you have this philosophy that when people actually understand it, they go, holy cow, you are awesome. I like this job so much better. And it's, it's like that aha hmm. moment where people go, that's what you are, you know, mm-hmm. and you're different. And I'm going to tell people about you. And 
I mean, if you can get, if, if that story could resonate with more people as in, and you have a reason to tell that story, mm-hmm. um, that's not annoying, <laughs> <laughs> um, then that would be cool. But you know, I've just, you know, I just said something out loud that I think I need to take a step back on. Maybe what we're talking about here is annoying and that is your resistance to it. Maybe, maybe this entire tactic mm-hmm. is something that just isn't who you guys are. I think that's part, like annoying is maybe taking it too far, but it's, it, whenever I see other companies do this, it feels self-indulgent to be like, you care so much about the inner workings of this versus like, I, re- I really like focusing on the bottom of the funnel, like you mentioned earlier, because it's like these people are using it every day and they care about it, but does the rest of the world. There's another problem here. I shouldn't say problem, but a, th- a reason for resistance for me is we're not trying to sell to startups. I'm very jealous of startups selling to startups because they can tell their story and it the people interested in learning from them are their ideal customer, but that's not true for us for the most part. Like our customers don't make software. They never have to launch a redesign, you know? That's probably not the right topic then. The redesign may not be the right topic, but it may be... There, there, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that there is a, I would challenge you to say, is there a story here? Is this an opportunity for me to help more small business owners in a less mm-hmm. annoying way and leveraging this opportunity to, to because you're going to be communicating to a lot of people, right? You're going to be touching at least 22,000 people. Did you say 21,000, 22,000? 21,000. And then we've got another 6,000 on our newsletter that aren't customers. So Okay. Yeah. So you have, let's just call it 30,000 people who through your various channels, you can hit, you're going to hit multiple times with the message. Um, why not, you know, make it bigger than just about redesign? Mm-hmm. The redesign is not why you're doing this. There's a bigger <laughs> why that, that you actually are holding true to. And why not maybe try some things in addition to those communications to amplify it mm-hmm. and, you know, solely with the goal of figuring out if it might be beneficial to some other people. Okay. Yeah. So I'm, I mean, with you saying that my, like some ideas are running through my head about, we can always do like a holier than thou kind of not here. Not, we're, we're doing this to make mobile better, but like we're the only software company you use that actually wants to exist 20 years from now. And this is how you, this is how we're doing this to earn your trust and yada, 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 a little more. That's at least a little more marketing than what I previously been talking about. I I would even move away from marketing on this as being authentic. Yeah. Like, I, are you scared? To, do you, you're, you're pretty authentic with everyone, right? Mm-hmm. I hope so. Yeah. Yeah. So why, why aren't you just like, why, why are you hesitant to be like super raw about this? Well, I'm not. I, we've written already, I think, six blog posts about this. We're being very transparent. We're talking about it. I just why are you always worried? been... I know what it is. I know the question yeah. is, why are you worried about this? Why did you bring this discussion in? The reason I brought it up is I have a plan that, which we, uh, before the end of this, I'd like to go through what, what I'm thinking that uh, hasn't really been... This is the type of thing you can't experiment with very well. Like you you do it and at some point you pull the trigger. And if if I made a mistake... 22,000 people are going to be mad at me. Got it. So you see this as a, this is kind of a a shot. You have a shotgun and (laughs) if you miss you're, you're dead. Yeah. My normal approach would be gradually roll stuff out and test it, but it's, it's hard with this redesign because at some point we have to flip the switch for the majority of our users. um, Walk me through your plan. 
Okay. So, uh, and once again, this is less about building hype and, and more about just minimizing downside to this. Right now we have about seven users on this, like using the new version, but the new version's not really anywhere close to done yet, uh, which is why we don't have more people. But we just earlier this week launched the ability for anyone to opt into it. What I'm waiting for is one more round of improvements to the product because right now like pretty big stuff is missing. Um, and then I was going to email, I have a list of about 100, 150 people who asked to be in the beta test. So I was going to email them. It sends them to this landing page that's like, here's what's changing. Here's a video about it. Here's a link to all the blog posts about it. Here's a form to opt in, basically. So if they want the information, they can get it. Then we were going to wait till one of these new features is done. Um, Outlook Calendar Sync is probably going to be the first one. And basically say, if you want this, it's only available in the new design. Um, it's still beta test. It's still not totally ready. A lot of people are going to want Outlook Calendar Sync. So that was the point I was going to email the whole customer base and say, "It's you know this is beta test. If you want Outlook Calendar Sync, it's available, but you have to go opt in to the beta. Collect feedback at every step, obviously. Um, and then the next threshold is once we have onboarding help switched over to the new design, switch all new signups over. Um, so it still won't be hundred percent out of beta, but all new signups will go to the new design. And then finally, eventually we have to force all the stragglers. What, um, what's your time frame for all of this? Yeah, hopefully I would guess switching free trials over might be two months from now, um, or something like that. We can kind of delay that last step as long as we want. We can like le stay in this limbo period. But I'm 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 the most urgency I have is to get new signups going over to the new design. Yeah, so this reminds me of something that we experienced at PeopleKeep, where we had a legacy platform, uh, and we had built a new platform, and we had to communicate. Uh, the, the platform switch, which is much more aggressive than a redesign. Mm -hmm. And because they had to, you know, literally like reset everything up, uh, totally new user face, new, new brand, new domain, everything. Mm -hmm. um, new pricing. That was a big, 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 big transition. What we learned from that is if you, if you are, if you are even considering forcing everyone to move over at some point, you need to pick a date where you think if you're going to do that, what that date would be. It probably needs to be six months away ish. Mm -hmm. And you need to communicate that to everyone as soon as possible. And you need to, it feels like you need to uh, develop a, a significant communication strategy to the whole group as soon as possible with these fate, like uh, with, a, with very clear, like, Hey, you can opt into each of these groups along the way, mm -hmm. but don't, you know, you don't have to do anything yet. And so they they go through a change. The, the whole idea here is the, the people who you're scared of are the people who are going to be the stragglers. It's not the people who are going to opt in. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So those are the people that you have to like go through a long change cycle. Hmm. Right. And the, the more that they, I don't know how many times it takes to communicate to those people, but the more, the first time they hear it, they're going to be like, that's annoying, but they're giving me six months notice. Yeah. This is pretty cool. And I understand why. Right. 
maybe I should opt into this thing, but probably not. And uh, the, the whole idea here is lengthen the change cycle over time and make them go through that change cycle multiple times until that deadline. And guess what you can do at the deadline? Delay it. You can delay it if you need to. <laughs> yeah. You can okay, always delay the deadline. So yeah, one of the, I'm probably uh, a, a constraint I put on myself that hurts me more than it helps probably is like, I try not to email the whole list too often. Um, it's been several years since we've emailed all our customers. Uh, I was hoping we, we, one thing I didn't mention, we've been emailing our newsletter, people who opt into like more frequent communication. Every two weeks we email the newsletter and every single newsletter has had another piece of information about this. So one was like, why'd we change our navigation? How's this going to affect mobile compatibility? How are the settings changing? So we're kind of dripping that out. Do your account, do your CRM coaches not reach out to accounts and say, how are you doing? Um, we have a certain amount of automated stuff at, at $10 a month. I mean, it's I mean, not... how often, how often are you sending a communication to a customer? Well, they're getting some form of communication from us almost every day because we send a lot of email reminders and stuff like that. But, uh, we do the NPS survey once a year. We do. What about like, uh, uh any time of like semi-human, like, Hey, we're checking in on you from support or success uh, service yeah. to the client. We have tested that before and never found any meaningful evidence that that, that was benefiting anybody. Um, that was years ago, so we probably should do that again. But right now, we don't do any of that. Yeah. So what I'm getting to is you really don't have a, meth- a medium for communicating this type of communicating. I don't want to say thoughtfully, but like uh, more personably. Yeah. Uh, frequently to customers. Not something that feels like a, one, a person reaching out to me. 4,000 of the, uh, roughly half of our accounts, the owners of the account are on our newsletter. Um, so we, we email them every couple of weeks, but it's, it's not, it doesn't have the appearance of a personal outreach. Um, so yeah, I was hoping to only send one big blast to people. We could do two though. We could get away with that. But what I'm hearing from you is I was waiting for the Outlook sync to be done so that there was something to offer them. And what you're saying is get that out there as quickly as possible, even if there's nothing to offer them yet. Well, and I think that there is, there's a, the topic of the podcast is how to communicate major product changes to your users. So this is a communication challenge. Um, and a communication challenge, to solve a communication challenge, you need to communicate, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. when you think about communication, um, I like to think of it as there's two steps. The first is clarifying your communication, uh, the core, right? Uh, let me, maybe there's a core message. That, there's only, there's only like a series of two, maybe one, two or three messages that you want everyone in your data, your customer database to understand. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. Okay. The trick with, this is you got to figure out how to get those three communications in their head without annoying them. Right. Right. So at the end of the day, um, this is a question of how do you send as few emails as communications as possible Mm -hmm. or the most appropriate amount of communications to maximize the number of people who get it. Yeah. And I'm already thinking of like using the term communication. So one way we can do this is pop-ups in the CRM. So, so let me, let me back up a second. The, f- yeah, the framework sorry. for this is first clarify the three messages. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
as part of that, you need to add proof points to each of the messages. So this is this is just like marketing a new product to your users. Um, you would say, listen, our key message is we are uh, redesigning um, this to uh, make it um, more usable for you and more trustworthy. Message number one. Mm-hmm. Um, here's some proof points of, of that. One, we've had some initial testers. Here are some quotes. This is so much better, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, th- th- maybe an industry quote that says new internet technology speed up, you know, reduce time spent on in an app by X percent. Like mm-hmm. just like proving the key message, right? And you do that for each of your messages. And then you get super aligned on those. These are what we want everyone to know. And we want them to know the three key messages, but here's how we're going to sell them on the key messages. And those are the proof points. Okay. okay. They could be screenshots. They could be, you know, they could be, uh, descri- you know, key, key feature messaging, what, whatever it is, but it's, it's, it's the, it's not what you want them to remember. It's, it's what you want them to use to prove it. Maybe gotcha. if you can get a case study from an existing customer who's already switched over, you could use that as well. So that's step one, getting the messages aligned internally. Then it's about, okay, how often do we need to, com- how can, how often do we need to communicate this to get the message point message across? Mm-hmm. If you can call everyone and have a one-on-one conversation with them for 30 minutes, you can probably do it with one communication. Right. Right. So now you've got to figure out, okay, how do we, how do we get there? And so one is, one part is frequency of communication. And the second is medium of communication. And generally you don't, you want multiple touches, both from a frequency standpoint and from a medium with the ability to somehow, once someone's gotten the light bulb, mm-hmm. to turn it off so you don't annoy them. Right. Okay. So I buy all that. That's interesting. So obviously we'll send at least one email out. I mentioned earlier, like a pop-up message is one thing. You mentioned calling, which probably the number of employees we have relative to the number of customers would be tough, but maybe we could do that for the stragglers at the very end. I would challenge you to suggest, I would suggest that maybe um, you're, 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 you have some messaging in your head, but you would benefit from writing it down and uh, oh, really- yeah, I'm yeah. going to go do exactly what you just said yeah. for sure. I, okay. I get your point there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think that that's actually going to be the most valuable thing because then you're going to realize exactly what it, you're going to see like, Oh, to get this in everyone's head, that's going to require X amount of touches. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Cause you're going to be able to put yourself in their shoes. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I was just kind of brainstorming. You, you were talking about different mediums. Um, if there are other, other oh, mediums yeah. I should be considering. <laughs> well, you said pop-ups. Um, what, one thing that we did when we did the transition is we actually had a pop-up when they logged in um, that said, hey, like this is really important. And we messaged it. And eventually it stayed, like it had a timer of some kind, I think, that said like, you can't, you can close this for the next three, like X days, but eventually you're going to have to fill this out. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh so it, it was opt out, but with an expiration date on the opt out and it required them to read some stuff and, uh, answer some questions that by going through that workflow, um, it was pretty well assumed that they had agreed to, I understand basically. Yeah. And, uh, that was used as a way to say, Hey, we think we got the message across. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you got them to say I understand before the switch even happened. Yes. The, your problem here isn't the switch. It's getting people 
to understand why you're making the switch. Yeah. If people understand why you're making the switch and don't like it, there is nothing you can do. Right. Okay. It's the, what you're concerned about is the people who don't understand why you're making the switch and quit because they don't understand why. Yeah. Which I mean, there's a type of person that just rage quits at any change at all. Like what are you going to do about that guy? Well, when I say rage quit, I think there is something to be done, which is there's this like two weeks of outrage and then it's over. What I want is for that outrage to happen before we switch them. So that's why we've been trying to email them. Rage quit, change cycle, same thing, right? You're you're trying to get them through the, there's a change cycle thing that says like, listen, you go through a change cycle, halfway through the change cycle, there's this huge danger area and that's where people rage and do crazy shit, right? And then you want to get them through that before you actually make them switch, you want to get them over that hump. Right. So then when they switch that, and actually the, the call I referenced that didn't go well, I already saw that a little bit. Like it was a 45 minute call during the call. She was really upset. By the end of it, she was already kind of coming down a little. And then she emailed me a couple of days later and was like, uh, is the new design going to still let me do this thing that I can already do? And I was like, yeah, none of the features. We're not taking anything away. It all works the same. And she was like, oh, well, I still don't like it, but okay. Uh, 45 minutes though, right? Like that's a long, you can't afford 45 minutes for 22,000. So really the question at the end of the day, what we're talking about here is how do we simplify the messaging so that we know exactly what needs to be communicated? And then how do we measure Mm -hmm. whether or not that has been communicated to get them through that change cycle before you transition? Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Getting them to like opt in, not opt in, but like agree to it before, before the change has happened. And not hmm. even agree to it, but like say like I understand why this is happening, and I'm on board, uh, or I I understand this is happening. I have concerns, or this really sucks. Like almost like a you. What, here's the problem. Here, here. I, I realize what I'm trying to say. Segmentation is key here. Mm-hmm. You have twenty thousand users. Some number of them are going to be like, "This is great. No questions asked." Some are going to be like, "Her," which are. I, this scares me. And if you, if you can address my concerns, I'm not gonna have a problem with it. And the others are going to be like this. I don't trust you. This is a big threat. I might quit. Mm-hmm. And the, the numbers get small, like the starts with the, 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 the ones you're worried about the second two buckets and maybe even the middle buckets, your most worry, you have to identify who those people are so you can spend more time on them. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, great. I got a lot to think about here. Thanks for the, uh, the help. Was this helpful? Yeah, no, it definitely was. I think it's still in my mind, like I have a specific plan that I had coming into this, which is not vague. Now I have vague reasons, like ways to improve it. I'm going to need to go take this and and brainstorm and think through it. But I definitely understand the plan I had, I think would have been okay, but I think there's definitely a lot of room for improvement there. What's your, um, what is your... Well, I guess the reason that you came into this was you were scared, a little bit scared of of messing this up. Yeah. Do you feel less scared about that now, having talked about it? I think so, yeah. I mean, when I'm scared of something, my normal attitude is just like explain it to death, which is partially what you're saying here. So we had already – the amount of content we have written already and I'm I, you know, I'm starting on a different blog post about this today. I feel really good about the fact that we have so much content about this. Uh, I think the thing that this – reassured me about is a a better way to get that. Like I was focusing too much on getting the content to people who aren't going to get upset about it anyway. And so that it's about 
Well, yeah. Let, how about I just summarize my, my yeah, takeaways? Tell me your takeaways. Okay. Yeah, tell, tell us your takeaways. So the first thing before we got into like why I brought this up was probably there's a story to tell here. Most companies don't think about this at all, really. They just do it and it's sometimes a disaster. So there's a story to tell that could be turned into some kind of opportunity to get people excited about it. Separately from that, um, I think my initial intuition of communicate, communicate, communicate was good. But what you brought up is it's important to actually have a strategy for it the same way you would with a marketing pipeline and say, there's going to be a change cycle. There's going to be a process of someone going from, I've never heard of this before, all the way through, I'm using the new product and enjoying it. And the same way you have to manage a funnel in marketing, you have to have, here's the point I'm going to hit at each stage of this change cycle. Here are these proof points I'm going to use to validate that and make it credible to the person. And I'm going to walk them through this cycle. And then specifically, I'm going to segment out the ones who uh, one way or another, I'm going to try to get them to raise their hand and say, I'm going to be one of the problem people. And then I'm going to even communicate more heavily, maybe set up calls, do whatever we need to do to get them on board. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with everything you said. One thing I'd add is this: the way that you can approach this from a marketing standpoint and sales standpoint, because that's what it is. This is definitely a conversion, right? And it's a it's a pipeline, and mm-hmm. you got to you got to figure out how to convert. It, it's it's very going to be very dependent on your average revenue per user, and you know your sales and marketing motion. You can't afford to have forty five minute calls with every user. Now, if you were a ten thousand per year, twenty thousand per year, you know product, maybe you could have a customer success manager schedule a call for 15, 20, 30 minutes and walk everyone through this. You've got to actually figure out how to do this with a thoughtful multi-touch process versus yeah. versus uh, hand-holding. Although having said that, we do have like, I don't know, five customers that are over $1,000 a month. So we should just pick, we, we should call all of them for sure. Yeah. Now you're getting into prioritization, right? Like who should you prioritize in terms of, um, you know, reach out and, and the limited resources that you do have, who should you spend it with? One is the people at risk, mm-hmm. two is higher revenue accounts. Yeah. Um, I love it. Awesome. Great. This is really helpful. Thank you. <laughs> you bet, man. Um, well, great. So everyone, thank you for listening. You can join the conversation on this topic and review past topics by visiting startuptolast.com. Again, that's startuptolast.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas. Tell us what you think, and uh, we'll see you next week.